What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, you're going to be hanging out with three guys who hope to maybe someday be legends of the podcasting game. Eh, We'll find out on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, Brad Miller and Mike Duranic. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? I need you to reintroduce me as Brad from Traposia. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Mike, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, and if I've got my numbers right, this is this is the 52nd episode of this. So that means we have successfully made it through a full year of this, uh, 52 weeks, right? This is our 52nd episode of the threequel. It, uh, I mean, they say time flies when you're having fun. Uh, you know, it feels like we've only watched Red Eye 25 times. Definitely doesn't feel like we've watched 52 movies. Uh, together but we have uh, along with anyone who is brave enough to listen of those two things um, so far I don't know that you've become a podcasting legend Ethan but you are a legend for watching Red Eye that many times so at least you'll you'll get it one way or the other and you know the key is you got to listen to us for another year uh, to see what of the movies we watch next Brad is just floored Uh, by how much time I've invested uh, in in any one of them, because it's going to come up again. You know, the the more we do this at some point, uh, Brad is going to be borderline offended uh, that I've watched Mm -hmm. any given movie a number of times. So I don't think it'll be this movie this week, but it will happen at some point. And I think maybe you're a legend for like not having a uh, just the nastiest case of hemorrhoids ever for how much time you spend on your ass watching these movies. I get up and walk around, you know, like I, I, I've become <laughs> you a got master. It down. Yeah, I've you become a master down. of, you know, having it on while I'm cooking or cleaning or like I know so the like, movies well enough that I can miss certain parts. Your your phone will buzz saying get off your ass or you're going to get hemorrhoids sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. You got plenty of alarms. You know exactly four, 14 minutes and 17 seconds. You got to get up and move or something. Well, as we've established on this podcast, you know, Ethan is the young whippersnapper of the three of us. And so um, speaking from, you know, wisdom and age, I think, Ethan, there's only one way this is going to survive as you move forward. And that is going to be you uh, getting a treadmill, uh, a stationary bike, (laughs) something like that, so that you can walk, run, ride, um, whatever it it floats your boat while watching these movies and get your exercise in while watching Red Eye when you get to that record setting centennial of it uh the 100th viewing of it oh, jesus <laughs> hundred times watching red eye he'll be there next. what are you talking about someday well, I, well wait it's time to get that time to get that treadmill I, <laughs> I could only be so lucky um this week we are talking a movie i have not seen 25 times um the emotional roller coaster that this movie puts me on i don't know if i could handle it 25 times we're probably sitting about five times uh that i've seen this one would be my guess but we're talking american sniper um to wrap up the month of january this came out in january of 2014 this is we'll run into this uh december january months 
came out in 2013 so that it would be eligible for the Oscars, but it came out. There's there's weird rules that happen. It's wide release was January 2014. That's when every, everybody got a chance to see it in theaters. And maybe all of us did as well. That's what we'll find out. Because the first question I always ask guys, how did you first come to see American Sniper? Was it in the theaters uh, back in 2014, eight years ago now, which is crazy uh, to think about? Was it later on its television run uh, on one of the subscription services? What, what was your first experience with this movie? And also, too, did you know about the story? Since we're talking a true story, add that in there, too. Uh, did you know really anything at all about this story prior to seeing it? Uh, so I think we've mentioned it before on the podcast, so no news. Uh, Ethan, you lived with us. Uh, and one of the biggest perks of that for me was um, I got to partake in some of your movie watching, your TV watching, that sort of thing. And you would kind of introduce me to some new things. I believe my first time watching this was while you were living here. You you showed me this movie. Um, I, so I watched it with you uh, in my living room. And I don't believe I knew much about this. I mean, I knew uh, I knew it was a true story. Um and I've seen enough movies in my life to kind of know how it's going to go and that sort of thing. I still remember being a little bit surprised at the end of just kind of how abruptly this movie ended. Um, you know, he, he meets the guy and his wife gives the guy a funny look and then it's over. And that was the biggest surprise to me because I wasn't quite sure. So that was like, you know, a little bit jaw dropping the first time I saw it. I believe this was only my second uh, full watch of American sniper. So, um, yeah, I, uh, in the living room watching, uh, watching with you, you know, some of these, we have like our vivid memories and we can tell you exactly where we saw it and, uh, who we were sitting next to in our initial reactions. And then sometimes we're, we're pretty sure. And this is one of those where I'm, I'm pretty sure given the time that it was released, given where I was at in life, uh, I am pretty sure that I saw this in the theater, uh, with my wife, um, just on a date. Uh, at that time, we lived in downtown Goshen within walking distance of the theater. Uh, she would have been pregnant with our first child at this time, but uh, we were we were still, um, you know, empty nesters at that point. And so it was not atypical for us to just literally walk down, have dinner at the, uh, the Hacienda and walk over and watch a movie, right? Uh, dinner at, and, and a movie looks quite different now. It normally involves chicken nuggets, french fries for the kids and whatever streaming on Disney plus. Um, but back then, you know, this was, uh, this was the, this was the type of movie we would have gone and seen. Uh, and what makes me really pretty sure we saw it in the theater together is that when I said that that was the movie we were watching, uh, this week, she knew the movie and had seen it. And so I can put those pieces together, but I am, I am with Brad in that I am thinking that this is only the second time I've seen it. I don't remember seeing it again, uh, in the interim. And as far as what I knew, I knew a little bit about um, the the story uh, of of the guy uh, of Kyle, but uh, I I don't know that I knew a ton about it, and I knew little enough that, like Brad said, the abrupt ending of this definitely uh, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't know it for sure, and it caught me off guard and and definitely landed the impact punch. Yeah, so uh, quite a different. Uh setting for me i i do know i saw it in theaters when it came out uh i was not with my pregnant wife at the time like mike um i was with about five or six other guys um 
because it was my freshman year of college and this was absolutely i mean you know 18 19 year old dudes in college this movie was must see viewing um to go see on the theater opening weekend uh for sure it was a very different experience for me from you guys because i i distinctly remember when the news first broke that chris kyle died um i'm not sure why but i know that it was a big deal at my school like everybody i remember everybody at school knowing about it it's happened my he he died my senior year of high school um february of 2013 so i remember everybody talking about it i remember knowing about it that day whether i saw it before i went to school that day or if it just kind of came up throughout the day but Whenever the news broke, I remember that happening. I remember the book. I hadn't read the book yet. I read the book that summer because of what had happened. So I went into this as like, I I know all this stuff. I've been versed in all this stuff. I have to see this movie. I don't have any other choice because this was an impactful thing for me when it happened. Um, And and then so I went into that. So a little bit different um, in what I brought into this experience, but as someone who had high expectations because of the weight that it bared to me, um, it, it, it absolutely delivered on all those fronts. So let's get into it, guys. American Sniper. Um, this was, you know, we've we've been talking recently, and this this wasn't planned, but it's just kind of happened. We've been on a run of kind of the these moments that change our perspective of certain actors. You know, we did it with John Krasinski in Thirteen Hours. We did it with Liam Neeson in Taken and here with Bradley Cooper up to this point, and, and not to say that he didn't have some more dramatic things or action geared things. He had a couple, but um, up to this point, he was Phil from The Hangover, right? We talked about that movie on this podcast. That was the star making role for him. And that may still be uh, what people go back to when they think of him. This, though, for me was definitively the moment where okay bradley cooper can do anything literally anything this guy touches he can hit a home run on because he has all of the tools right i i uh, had not seen silver linings playbook yet i know he was nominated for that um or if he wasn't a lot of people in that movie were and he's fantastic in it i hadn't seen it yet it wasn't a huge uh big hit box office wise this was the movie where now this guy is going to be chasing after Oscars year in and year out with every role he takes. Um, I'm curious kind of if you guys, if there was ever a moment for you guys where you kind of had to take a step back and this was still Phil from the hangover for you, or was it kind of like we talked with John Krasinski where once you got in this movie, he is this dramatic kind of, you know, badass guy in this movie. And this is where his career will go from here forward because this is that moment. Well, before I answer that question, I'm going to go back. You just mentioned uh, senior year of high school, Chris Kyle. It took me on a weird memory lane trip there that I was uh, I was thinking back to my senior year of high school, and that was uh, the Columbine shooting. So, like, you had that tragedy. We had that one. I mean, that one just consumed everybody. Um, I have no idea. I don't even know that I'd heard of the the Chris Kyle person um, until this movie had come out. And then I had learned a little bit about it, but yeah. So I just wanted to share that real quick. Uh, Cause that was, yeah, just, it kind of took over my mind there for a little bit. I was drifting. Um, 
I to answer your question though, I he's not Phil from the Hangover, man. He's Sack Lodge from Wedding Crashers, <laughs> man. Crab cakes and football—that's what they do in Maryland, you know. Um, actually, before Hangover, um, that when I was watching Hangover, I was like, "Hey, that's the guy from Wedding Crashers," you know, like right. uh, that uh, that that prick boyfriend. Um, and then, of course, uh, Phil from The Hangover. Um, I think for me, that's still where I go with Bradley Cooper. I mean, he's a much better actor than what he played in that movie. But honestly, like he did that role perfectly. I think he just absolutely nailed it. I don't think there's anybody that would have played um, Phil that well. Um, it just He just, you know embodied that character and, and did it and i think that's for me uh was my first real big introduction to bradley cooper um i've seen some of the things that he i've enjoyed some of the things this is one of the better ones um just kind of looking through his imdb here uh you know american hustle was a good one um limitless is is what it was you know um war dogs was okay um, I have not seen a star is born. So there's a, there's a shocker for you. I've been, I've had to kind of stay away from that one, but, uh, and obviously shout out to him voicing rocket in, uh, um, guardians of the galaxy. I think that he does really well with that voice acting there. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's Phil from the hangover. And then it's probably this, as far as my, uh, um, what I go back to when I think of Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I agree with with you, Brad, on on uh, him being from Wedding Crashers first. That was certainly my reaction when I saw The Hangover. I do think, to your point of no one could have played Phil in The Hangover uh, as well as he did. At the time, I don't know that we knew it, but upon reflection, going back to that movie and seeing where his career has gone, I think actually his performance in that movie is indicative of how great of an actor he is, that in a comedy role like that, he took it that direction in, in such a memorable way. Um, for me, when I, you know, to your point, Ethan, or your question, when did he go from being Sack and Phil to something different? Um, I saw Silver Lang's Playbook in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw American Hustle in the theater. And then I obviously saw this and they came out in that order, I believe. And so it was kind of a, a sudden rush of, oh my gosh, this guy is something far more than I thought that he was. And maybe, um, you know, in, in the, the running for uh, one of the best actors of his age group of that generation, I think he's 47. So he's, yeah, I don't know that he's at, at a DiCaprio or Damon level, but I don't know that he's far off when you look at his ability in these, you know, performances and obviously longevity will be a question and what he does moving forward will be a question, but I have seen him. I did see him in a star is born and I thought he did great in that movie as well. Uh, and again, showed an entirely different style of, of talent and then integrating his singing into it, which is not an, an easy thing to do. Even if Jeremy Renner makes Ethan think that it is, um, you know, it's, he's a dynamic actor and he's got a lot of talent. So uh, I'm a pretty yes. big fan. Oh, Jeremy Renner's singing abilities make another uh, uh, cameo on the podcast. Yeah, so I mean, for me, and I mean to you guys' point, I think it, it will be very hard for his his most well known role to ever not be the Hangover because of the cultural impact of that movie. But just when I think about him, and I'm a massive Bradley Cooper fan, 
I look at it as like this dude was able to have an iconic comedic role and he's also been able to have an iconic dramatic role uh, that that is really head and shoulders above. And when I say I, I, I mean, a star is born specifically when I say that. But I think. I mean, both American Sniper and a star is born. It, it's baffling to me that this guy does not have an Oscar already. For this movie in particular, he lost out to Eddie Redmayne uh, playing Stephen Hawking, which at the time, I just kind of threw my hand, hands in the air and was like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, I mean, because it, I, sitting there, I thought that it was a runaway that year. I thought that there was going to be no question about it. I had already envisioned, like, this is where we're going to go with this. It's going to be a great moment. And we'll see if American Sniper beats out Birdman where they, if they want to go art house or if they want to go like dramatic look into kind of, you know, war and, and things like that, they went a different direction, which whatever, what have you, but performance wise, no way he should have lost. And then again, with a star is born, he should have swept actor. He should have won best director that should have won best picture. And he loses out to Remy Malik doing an impression, which we, I mean that, that we can fight that bad when we get to a star is born, you know, God willing, if we get to that being, eligible for the show i'm sorry brad i will put that one up to be watched uh but I'm cool with it he acts circles around remy malik in in uh bohemian rhapsody i mean he puts on some fake teeth and he does a great impression of um Freddie Freddie Mercury. Mercury. but acting he does not do in in the same level as Bradley Cooper. So this guy, I mean, I think he's just an absolute superstar. Um, and his star was born long before that movie came out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my soapbox I'll stand on and I can, you know, bang that drum again someday when we talk about a star is born. Mike, did you have something to add? No, I, I just, I'm kind of, I, I am always fascinated by the discussion of, you know, especially looking back a number of years, like we are able to at this one, eight years, what should have won awards and things of that nature. And I, I did see Birdman uh, as well. And I do think that's an interesting discussion, but I agree with you uh, without looking at the other nominees for best actor. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, he should have, he should have won for for this one and the fact that he didn't win for either this one or a star is born um makes it that he's he continues to increase his likelihood that at some point a performance not as good as those two he'll get nominated for and he'll win for the career achievement uh, academy award right i mean he's that next next in line um because they're i mean they're in that same generation of leonardo dicaprio right year after year after year leo kept getting nominated when when's it going to happen when's it going to happen and to me and we've talked about him like he's great in the revenant i'm not a fan of the movie but i wouldn't put that in his top three or four performances but he finally won for that one and, and what you're saying there i think will end up uh holding true for him because uh, he's fantastic and the fact that he could direct himself to a performance like he had in a star is born is great but and i don't want to take anything away we can we can focus back on american sniper because the performance he delivers in this is tragic in so many ways and i think what ends up making this movie so great kind of i mean shifting gears a little bit to look at the movie overall but 
I think war movies, every war movie has a scene, right? Where the horrors of war gets to a character and they kind of pause the action to, to show that, you know, saving private Ryan does it really well. A couple times where Tom Hanks, the, he, everything is kind of drowned out. He can't hear anything. He's kind of stunned for a second like that. That's kind of where my mind always goes, but there's always that. This movie does such a great job of slowly he's breaking down. You see it every, after every tour, uh, after every kill, almost every little thing. Like you watch his performance just go deeper and deeper into uh, this dark place in Chris Kyle's mind that he ended up getting to that he had to pull himself out of. And I think that's what makes this performance so good is that you can actually just track how slowly he goes from the, you know, I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm not a redneck. We ride horses, not our cousins. Like he's just this kind of cool, calm, like collected funny guy to the guy that almost kills his own dog because it's playing with his son. And like, there is actual being able to watch that point for point for two hours and 10 minutes of a movie. And I, I think that's what makes it so great. And I think that's what separates it from a lot of other, especially modern war movies. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of a different take on what was going on with him. I don't um, I don't know that I agree that he was going to a dark place um, throughout the whole film. I think that uh, what he was what was happening was he was just switching what home was he was switching what his motivation was you know at the beginning it was he wanted to get married and have a family and that was his focus and then that brotherhood that he gained and you know that fighting for his country and protecting others became his identity and became who he was so he was just getting more and more distant um i think you didn't really see that that trauma until um I think he thought he was done at one point and then realized like, I got to go back and finish this. And then once he was done, it really like he did not know how to switch back to, you know, Chris Kyle family man. And all he could, he could sit and do was like, who did I let down? What brother was I not able to save? You know, and that was where that, that darkness just really took over where, you know, or whatever he was going through, I think was kind of more of a quick, a quick thing that happened versus just an identity swap where he lost himself to who he was and what his identity was. Not even to say it was a loss because maybe that's the life he wanted and that's what he was okay with. He was the protector and the guy that was going to go and, and uh, was willing to put his life on the line for others, you know, and I mean, maybe it's semantics because either way that can be a dark place. Um, but I took it more of like he just became more and more motivated by being over there and protecting people. Um, and then that darkness came once he didn't have anymore. He he just completely lost his identity. Well, and I don't think that this is an either or. I think it's more of a yes and. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I do agree with you, Brad. I think throughout the, the movie, and I also haven't read the book, although rewatching this made me think that it may be one that I put on my list and, and at some point do read. Um, but the movie alludes multiple times to the fact that this is who he wants to be. This is his sense of duty. He, he wants to be out there, right? Uh, that is true. 
also, I think that, you know, walking out of the theater the first time I watched this, um, and then certainly this time it, it reiterated to me, I think that they did a masterful job of demonstrating how the impact of traumatic events can be a slow plunge that at the same time can be a simultaneous, uh, you know, it's a slow plunge and then all of a sudden there is a cliff. And so you don't even realize how you are deepening into the world of trauma and post-traumatic stress until all of a sudden you hit that cliff and then the bottom can drop out. And, you know, we'll come back around to it at my, at when I, when we go through favorite lines, cause I have a line that's kind of specific to, to that, but I think that they did a, a brilliant job of illustrating the impact of PTSD um, in a way that was accessible to the general public in a movie setting, uh, which to me is probably the biggest argument for why this movie should have maybe been considered best picture was obviously nominated is because the uh, demonstrate the impact of that on your stereotypical right American hero, a legend, and to be able to demonstrate that in a movie setting like this, I think um, was particularly powerful. Well, yeah. And I think that's back to what I appreciated so much about how they showed kind of where he was going because I think a lot of times, like, the easiest thing to do would be to display someone in a movie that has PTSD as, like, I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to pull things, uh, you know, just uh, from random. Mel Gibson's character in Lethal Weapon, right? That dude's got PTSD. He spends his nights drinking and putting a gun to his head and thinking about killing himself all the time. And then he's just a bat out of hell for the rest of the movie. And so if you have PTSD, you constantly have a gun to your head you're never afraid of death and you're, you're literally just suicidal every moment of the day. Like it's really easy to display it as that. Whereas this was like the first time he came home, the nurse took his blood pressure and it's whatever it was, 170 over 110. And you can see him as his wife is pushing, like he's getting amped up, getting amped up. Well, then she, she goes into labor. So they're kind of joking and laughing and well, we're about to have a kid. So things are, we'll, we'll forget about it now. And then he comes home and the, the gun on the the tires is starting to set him off but then there's a conversation about you know hey your daddy's a hero and you can tell how comfortable he, but you just kind of he's just kind of piling things on because he doesn't want to really approach what he's dealing with and that is a very realistic and like you said a best approachable way to talk about what so many of these guys go through back here instead of just simply if, if you have PTSD, you know, you're crazy. That That's not what it is. Like it is the, it, there is a lot of this kind of trauma that affects people underneath. And I think they did a really good job of that. And I think that goes to as well. I'm so glad that they didn't film a scene where we see him die. That I think that would have been so incredibly tasteless. And we didn't need it. Like you guys said, it, it was abrupt, especially for you guys. Like maybe, you know, you guys weren't 100% sure how Chris Kyle passed or even if he did. But that serves the story a lot better. And I think it serves his memory a lot better than to have filmed a scene. We knew what happened. And, and that, again, I think would have done damage to the to the message they were trying to put out about PTSD if we would have seen that because it, it would have just been too much. Yeah, for a movie that's violent, it's a war movie, right? I think it's the it's the highest grossing war movie of all time. It, it surpassed Saving Private Ryan, correct, Ethan? 
it was yes, and it was the highest grossing R-rated movie until Deadpool. So, so a, a really successful yet violent movie that didn't mean that it wasn't tasteful. And I think that the way that they handled that ending is indicative of that. They understood the message that they had to get across or and how they needed to communicate it. And they did it in a way that, again, it left the impact, but without being gratuitous. Agreed. So we can kind of get back into uh, actors and actresses and behind the camera. It was, I mean, this was directed by Clint Eastwood. We just talked about him a couple weeks ago, so not a whole lot to get into on that front. Um, the other people on screen, Sienna Miller playing his wife, uh, Taya. And this is, as I was watching this, I was thinking this, and I was like, I have to be missing something. And I went back through, her career is where did she come from and where did she go? And also... Joe, man. <laughs> wasn't even going for that. That was great pull um the things i have seen her in she's not a good actress at all the things that i can pull here i mean gi joe (laughs) um 21 bridges i mean the things that i have seen i'm i've never been impressed by but this movie you know you know clint eastwood working with bradley cooper i don't know what it was she had a really really good three months on set whatever she did I think she's great in this, and I think she does play that role. Um, watching him go through this, and then you know, just just hoping that he can come out of it. I think she plays that stuff really, really well. And damn it, if she can't hold a fake baby with the best of them. Uh, so, Sienna Miller, if you're listening to this, um, and you um, give a crap about what Ethan says about your career, this is the same guy that has seen Red Eye 25 times and and still likes it. So. She's made more money than I will ever see. I would love it to just be good in one move. If I, if I was an actor, I'd just kill for that opportunity. I'm just saying I have no idea where they found her or how she got on set. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I have seen her, from what I can tell, in two movies. This one and the aforementioned G.I. Joe movie that, uh, that you referenced. Uh, and with those being the two things I can compare it doesn't really add up. I can't pass judgment on the rest of her career because I don't believe I've seen any other movie. Uh, but I think she was quite good in this. Um, you, you made me laugh with the fake baby thing because I think I had read somewhere in kind of my random research that there was some conversation that the fake baby is what lost it, the Academy Award, but that the the initial baby that they had was ill and the second one didn't show up. And so Clint Eastwood was like, forget it, just grab the fake baby. But I didn't even notice Shoot the, the fake scene baby. without the baby. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even notice it. I, that's that's a level of detail that, uh, that I don't get. But it is a real thing that allegedly that is a major factor as to why it didn't win Best Picture. You guys didn't notice it? I must not be that no. attuned to looking at the baby. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I caught it in the theater. I looked over and was like, what the hell is that? It's it's one of the it's right after she ha- I I think it's after they have their second child so because I think I think it's the daughter because he's there's the scene where he's punching the glass because she's crying and he's very upset and obviously again another his his trauma and his stressors coming out they go back and it's him and her talking and she's breastfeeding and he goes and takes the baby from her and it's a doll the entire like I mean it maybe now that I I did notice it that one time. 
I look for it now so I can have a good laugh. It's horrifying. I don't know who let that get off the cutting room floor. I mean, we talked about, I think Clint's a fantastic director. I, he, I, maybe he was drunk that day and thought this would be a good decision. Like you do just, you can have all that dialogue without them trading the baby back and forth. Again, I, my, my research could be wrong. So with that caveat that I don't spend a lot of time researching these things, I did come across that allegedly it was their third try because baby number one was sick. Baby number two, no call, no showed. Uh, and so they just said, well, go with the doll. I agree with you. Maybe don't go with the doll or maybe don't move the doll and have it entirely covered up and just try to play it off. Um, but uh, it does seem like the weakest part of the movie. But if a, if a brief scene like that with a, with a baby doll uh, is the worst part of your movie, yeah, you're, you're doing all right. It's, it, it is a joke at this point. Um, the other people on screen, I mean, m- most of the other people that spend time on screen are uh, his fellow Navy SEALs and some Marines. And I mean, I think they, they, everyone does a really good job. I think the two that stand out to me do kind of go back to the conversation of Clint Eastwood. You know, we talked about how um, Gran Torino is just filled with people that didn't have a career before or after. Right. He just found these people and got the best out of them in this case. And I know that uh, Luke Grimes was working prior to this. Like he's, he's always been a working actor, but definitely not known. Uh, And he's really, really good. I think in this movie as uh, one of his two best friends. Uh, And now we've seen the success that he's had on Yellowstone. And then Jake McDormand, who plays the character Biggles, who's his other best friend in the movie, uh, I, again, another good performance, good chemistry there. And he's gone on to have a pretty successful career. He was in a show on Disney plus um, about the, the NASA and the astronauts and that whole program. So Clint Eastwood finding these people, pulling the most out of them. And then with this, we actually get to see the results of he did know something before everyone else, because those guys have really gone on uh, to shine and I was just a big fan of what all of the supporting cast did in this movie as well. When you get them to the point of differentiating, is this movie good? Is it great? Everybody's got to come through. And I think everybody did in this. Yeah. As I looked through the, uh, the, the, the listing of the actors um, and as I watched the movie, none of them jumped out to me, but all of them did a great job. So I, I agree with your, your observations guys. Uh, and again, you know, shout out to that baby. It, it cried. <laughs> Exactly. It almost sounded like a real baby the way it was crying on screen. I don't know how they um, taught a doll to do that. That's fantastic. Let's uh, move forward, guys. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Mike, you're going to have to guess first, and then I'm going to have the opportunity to try to uh, snipe you. That's actually the first time that that uh, hit home. We say that every week. Um, And we'll see who will be playing against Brad next week. Uh, So, Mike... What is the sitting Rotten Tomatoes score of American Sniper? This is a hard one. Uh, I'm going to go a little lower than I than my gut tells me um, because for whatever reason it didn't win, but I think it was pretty well received, obviously pretty well nominated. So I'm going to go with an 83. Let's go with an 83. Oh, that, that's a very easy uh, shot for me. Um, I... My my mind is telling me 88, but I don't want to, like, lose the game. So I'm going to say 85. Um, 
but I, I 88 would be my if I was just going to try to hit the nail on the head. But I'll say 85 for the sake of the game. Brad, who is our winner? Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's uh, that's crazy. I, I truly have no idea. The so you know I, we've talked before. There's like the little cut, like the little sentence explaining the score. Powered by Clint Eastwood's sure-handed direction and a gripping central performance from Bradley Cooper, American Sniper delivers a vivid tribute to its real-life subject. And yet, it's at a seventy-two. In what world? I I need to talk to. The 28 people that walked out of a theater and said, thanks, but no thanks. The only, the only thing I can imagine, because I sat with someone in the theater that hated it, that, that opening scene, and it, and it jumps and goes back, but the scene where he has to shoot the, the young boy. I was with someone in my group of friends that was like, you know, he, they, he said, because there's the second time where the kid picks up the RPG and then he puts it, he said, if he'd have done that again, I was going to leave the theater. I'm not going to watch that happen. And that led into a longer conversation about why that scene was important, why it needed to be in the movie, what they were trying to say. We can have our disagreements there, but I mean, if that one scene got this down to a 72, you're missing the point. I don't know how this is. At. This is actually the most upset I've been about a score. Oh, Not just baby. because I lost. Perhaps 20, 28% of the people were really pissed yeah. off about the baby. That was my point. I mean. It was that damn baby, yeah. $59 million to make this thing. It grossed 550 worldwide. So it, it half a billion dollars that it brought back in above its budget. And you're telling me that this thing's at a 72. All right. Well, so 28 out of 100 I, people are allowed because, to be wrong. Because you brought up that scene, I, I want to touch on that real quick. And I hope this doesn't make me sound like an awful person. But. Whoa, Brad. <laughs> I mean, we're all Americans here, but Jesus. sorry i can't believe that i admitted that uh on on air like that and if you choose to leave it in there i guess that's on you so um but yeah i sorry i just had to get that off my chest i'm over here i'm so disturbed i'm I'm kicking over (laughs) stools knocking over guitars i don't even know what's happening I'm glad you guys could be. I'm glad you guys could be entertained by that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, favorite line, favorite scene. All right. Well, I I can jump in with favorite line if you want. And I alluded to this earlier with kind of the discussion uh, about you know PTSD and and that descent before you know the plunge. Um, And this this was a line that uh, Sienna Miller delivered, and so I'm actually going to go with her. Uh, and it was just when she said to him, look, if you think that this war isn't changing you, you're wrong. You can only circle the flames so long. Um, and I think that that's a beautiful illustration just about you, you are in this war zone. You're in this intense environment. Um, you're doing what you got to do. And at the same time, it's changing you. You're, you're fundamentally changing as the person that you are. And 
Uh, so yeah, that that uh, ended up sticking out to me as my favorite line from the movie. Um, my favorite line, it's I mean, it's it's a bit of a conversation, and it's also uh, just some sounds, but it, it it just goes to the performance that he gives, uh, and I think the impact of like what his character's going through. It's the conversation that he's having with uh, the doctor at the VA once he's finally retired. Um, and Brad, you had alluded to this part earlier, but you know, he tells him that the Navy's credited him with over 160 kills and he just kind of like, hmm, you know, just kind of shrugs. Just like he doesn't want to know the number almost. Right. Like he everybody else knows the number and he doesn't that that doesn't mean anything to him that that number doesn't mean anything to him. And then as the conversation goes on, just I was protecting my guys. They were trying to kill our soldiers and I I'm willing to meet my creator and answer for every shot that I took. The thing that haunts me are the guys I couldn't save. And then that leads the doctor to, you know, like there's plenty of guys right here at home that need saving, like come come take a walk with me. So just that turning point for him, him finally admitting to somebody at least like what's going on with him, what he's thinking about all this time. And then that transition to like, well, let's, let's think about a different way to save people. Let's, let's go take a walk. So that was my favorite line. That's a great one. That was a close number two for me. So, uh, both of yours were great. So for favorite scene, um, I thought a lot about this and movies like this, I think are hard for me to identify a favorite scene. Um, they tend to blur together. Uh, you, you've got some violent scenes, but I did end up just landing on, uh, I think the final, the final battle that he's in on his fourth tour over here, there where he ends up making the phone call, uh, back home to his wife, um, where you see just it all come crashing down, uh, this incredibly strong, you know, man, the, this this uh, person who had given so much, just saying, "I'm ready, I, I, I'm done," you know, um, and so that scene I thought was wonderfully done, and at the end of the day, my favorite scene. So, my favorite scene is actually it kind of combines a few because it's it's not necessarily a scene, but more it's those moments when they are up close with him as he's looking down the the um the scope of the sniper rifle and you just kind of you're in that world for a little bit because um i mean i hate the sound of this but like if i was going to be in war that's probably the position i'd want to go for because you're 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 safer you are in control you're protecting others um probably a little less fear for your own life because you're not right down there um busting down doors with those guys and running in. Um, so I know that sounds a little, you know, um, chicken shit of me, I guess is the best way to, but like, that's the, that's the position. I think if I was skilled enough to be in that I would, I would choose. And I, I just really liked, you know, the, the moments where they would show kind of like what must be going through his mind. Like he's, he's looking for evil all day just looking for somebody to do something and then has to take them out um without hesitation you know and it's just such a it's a cool psychological theme throughout the movie of like when you're looking down there and you're discerning what what's happening is okay what if you're right what if you're wrong like that kid that picked up the uh uh what's a grenade launcher i guess is what you would call it and he's pointing and he's just like put it down put it down drop it drop it seconds away from having to 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 kill that kid and it, and it is just such a neat 
I guess, just social experiment there of, of where you have to be and, and read people and read scenes and um, just kind of like, you know, that that's his job while he's there is just protecting people um, and making those tough choices. So uh, I just really enjoyed those moments where you're just kind of alone with him and the gun um, and just, you know, trying to think, what would I do in this, in this scenario? Those are both great picks. Um, I got since you guys both went uh, to kind of the war side of it, I'll go a little bit different. And the scene that affected me the most uh, on this rewatch in particular, um, and it's just after Mike's scene, but he's home, he's in the bar and calls his wife and, you know, tells she's like, well, are you, you know, are you in Germany? Where are you at? And he says that he's there. He's home. He's he's not that far away, but he starts to break down because of the weight of everything we've seen. You know, he has left, he, he has quit. He's come home to her, but you can see right there. He doesn't know how to come home to her. He doesn't know how to just be a husband and a father. And probably a lot of it is he is able to know like the issues that everybody else is seeing and telling him that he has, but he has no idea how to handle them and he doesn't even know really what they are. So all of that just coming out in that scene, uh, that was the one that emotionally affected me the most this time because, you know, she's helpless, he's helpless, but she wants to help him and he wants to be home, but he can't. And it, I just thought it was beautiful that they just kind of put that in there as this like this moment just between the two of them, even though it's across the phone, which is how they've had a lot of conversations in the movie. Um, and, and I just thought it was really, really good that they put that in there just for some perspective. But that was our favorite line, favorite scenes, guys. That was our conversation about American Sniper. Uh, to wrap up the month of January, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Very, very different uh, perspectives of war films that we talked about in this month with this in 13 hours, but uh, two sides of it that are very good to talk about. So we hope everyone enjoyed that ride with us next week as we start the month of February. We are going to be talking Miracle uh, to Brad. Did you have something to add to Miracle? Or? Um, well, yeah, I wanted to just say before you kind of wrap it up is I, I might need to apologize for that little rant I went on earlier. And I would really like to talk about Miracle next week. So um, I'm really hoping that that does not get me suspended and kicked off the air for a week. So um, I'm going to just throw that out there for you to consider, um, consider my fate uh, in allowing me to talk about Miracle. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's three of us that host this show. So, I mean, it would take a majority vote to get you kicked off, Brad. So, like, it, <laughs> I don't think you have anything to worry about. Well, that uh, was pretty darn crazy what I said there. So, um, I understand if that's the decision what that, that you make. Um, I, I accept but, uh, bribes, yeah. Brad, depending on how badly you <laughs> want to talk about miracles, since it's a majority vote on, on disciplinary action. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Regardless, hey. uh, we plan on talking Miracle next week in honor of the Winter Olympics kicking off here in 2022. Highly doubt we're going to see anything in this Winter Olympics quite as entertaining uh, as the U.S. men's hockey team facing off against Russia in 1980. Uh, but you never know. That's, that's the beauty of the Olympics. You never know what you will see. Um, but just in case there's nothing that quite reaches that point, we will be talking about uh, that next week. This was American Sniper, though. Uh, and other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time.